And now hear God's holy word from Ephesians chapter 6, continuing our study in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's give thanks together. Father, we ask that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit today to love and hear and receive and put into application your holy word. You have spoken these words to us out of your love and out of the authority you have over us as our creator and as our lawgiver. And so we come to you today submitting ourselves to you and we ask you to uh, correct us and to give us the strength to obey. Father, help me to state these things clearly. Give me your Holy Spirit. Fill me, I pray, that, that I might speak with boldness and courage and clarity. And may we all receive and mark and follow your words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What would you say is the key to long life, health, and happiness? What is it? What's the secret answer? What, what do we do to live long and be happy and prosper? Is it just the right diet, whichever the right diet happens to be now, which, whichever one it is? Is it, is it following that right diet? Is it a healthy exercise regimen? Lots of sunshine, fresh air, free from pollution? Is it access to the best medical attention? Is that what will guarantee us long and happy lives? Maybe it's not doing some things, but maybe it's not doing some things that would help us live long and happy and prosperous lives. Maybe it's avoiding tobacco or avoiding excess alcohol or avoiding you know, Twinkies and all other kinds of hostess uh, cupcakes and things. That's what will guarantee you many years. One guy in his 20s told me, I'm going to live to be over 100 years old. And I said, oh, is that right? You're going to live to be over, oh yeah, I'm going to live to be over 100. I said, how do you know that? He said, because I only eat raw fruits and vegetables. That's, that's, that's my guarantee. I only eat raw fruits and vegetables. Okay, well, we'll I'll check back in a, you know, 80 years and see how you're doing. But if you do a Google search, if you search how to live a long life, you'll find no shortage of solutions to aging, no, no shortage of remedies and promises of longevity. If you only eat the right things, if you only do the right things, and if you avoid other things. But God never makes those promises. Now, some of those things might be wise, and some of those things make, might make you feel really good, and you may like the way that you feel when you do those things. They may, they may help you avoid certain health complications and other issues. If, if for every meal you, you eat a bag of Oreos and wash it down with a Dr. Pepper, two liter, and you never leave your couch, uh, it's very likely you're not going to live a long and happy life. It's going to be a short and uncomfortable life. But God never tells us that diet and exercise have built-in promises of a long and happy life. There is one thing that God has said will ordinarily give you long, happy, and blessed years. And that is obedience to the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. That's what God says. Honor your father and mother and your days will be long and it will be well with you in the land that I give you. This is the one thing that God has said will give you many years. But it's never on the cover of a health and beauty magazine. 
They don't put that on posters at the gym. That, that, and, and if they did, nobody would take it seriously. And, and yet, among all of our efforts to have a long and happy life, this is one thing that, that we ignore, and it's the one thing that really deserves our highest attention. This is where Paul turns toward the end of his letter to the Ephesians. As we've seen, he's taken many of the things that God did through Moses at Sinai. Now Paul is recommunicating these things, shining them through Jesus to the church. And he's following in his train of thought, he's following many of the things that, that Moses did at uh, at Sinai. So just as, as God ordered society at Sinai, so now Paul is ordering society in the church. And we found that order begins fundamentally, foundationally, order begins with mutual submission. That's where he starts. And that's, that's, that's where we all must begin. We all must be subject to each other. We must esteem others more highly than ourselves. Now, after establishing this, then then Paul moves on to the responsibility of wives. Why does he start with wives and not husbands? Well, because all humanity before God is in a wifely position. The story of history, of human history, is of God raising up humanity as a suitable bride for his son. And then after writing about, about wives, Paul moves to the responsibilities of husbands, which are given in the context of a husband's own submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and his imitation of Jesus. See, human authority is never absolute. Everyone, everyone must submit to someone else. And even the man at the top of the hierarchy must submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Human, uh, human authority is never absolute. The highest person in any hierarchy is the Lord Jesus. So after talking about wives and husband, uh, husbands, now Paul moves to orderly relationships between parents and children. And just as he began with wives when talking to husbands and wives, he begins with children in talking about children and parents. He addresses children first because, again, we are all in a position of childhood when it comes to God. We are His children. He is our Father. And childhood is where we all start. All of us, all of us have been children. Every one of us. It's hard to imagine some of you as kids. You know, it's, it's, you know we, we, as adults, we, you know, what, what, were, what, were, what, were you, what were you like as a kid? That's a, that's a fascinating thought project. And you see, see pictures of each other. And we say, that was you? Oh, wow, that, I can't believe that was you. But all of us, all of us in this room have, at some point, have been the youngest person in the family. Or at some point, we've been the smallest person in the room. God puts us there in childhood to grow and develop and mature, to give us all a time. Every one of us have had a time of submission and training to prepare us for the responsibilities of authority and leadership that come in adulthood. We all start out as children. But if we never get that right, if we never learn how to obey, if our parents never insist that we honor them and submit to them, then we grow up to be warped adults. If our parents never insist on obedience, then we grow up and we don't know how to accept the word no. We don't know how to obey or follow directions. We don't know how to follow instructions. We don't know how to submit to anybody. Children who are never told no, children who aren't corrected consistently and lovingly, Children who are instead babied into their teenage years, who have no expect, uh, expectations on them, 
you've, you've known these people, right? They grow into these beasts who think they're the center of the universe. And they find out very quickly that the world is a cold, harsh place where, where not everybody treats me the way mom and daddy treated me. And they become these social cripples. Nobody wants to work around them. Nobody wants to be with them or, or work for them or, or marry them unless they themselves are these kind of, of social cripples. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster, of course. But it's God's grace to us. It's God's grace to you children that you have parents who correct you and teach you and set boundaries for your lives. It is God's grace to you that you have a mother and a father who will tell you no. It's God's grace and love to you that you have a father and a mother who will say, here are the boundaries. And inside these boundaries, all kinds of wonderful, beautiful, glorious things can happen. But here's the line. It's clear. And you know where it is and I know where it is. So don't transgress it. Don't cross it. That's God's grace to you that you have parents. Parents who parent faithfully. And children who obey and honor and love their parents. This is indispensable to a stable society. If parental authority is not revered and is not reinforced by society everything comes unglued. And, and you see, it's really the, it's always been the agenda. It's always been the mission of the serpent to work between the parent and the child, to, to rob, to steal the holy seed, right? That's what, that's what Satan has always tried to do. He did it in Egypt. He did it in Bethlehem. He's always trying to destroy and crush the seed and get between the parent and the child. And that's what the state is doing now, in every way that they can, they want to get in between us and our children to lead them to accept all manner of perversion, to re-educate them, to, you know, uh, brainwash them in the, in the uh, religion of the state. That's, that's still going on and that's always happening. And, and, but however, a parent and a child relationship that is ordered by God is essential for a stable society, which is why Paul always puts disobedience to parents right in his list of depraved behaviors. When Paul talks in Romans 1 about how everything in, in the depraved mind and the depraved world comes unglued and unraveled, uh, and he does it again in 2 Timothy, but in Romans in particular, he, he talks about the, the, uh, the fallenness of humanity, and this is how he describes it. They're being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whispers, backbiters, haters of God. Is this company that you want to keep? Are these people you want to be around? Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. You see, this, this is the company of the, the unregenerate. This is the company of, of, the, of those who are in absolute, complete rebellion to God and, and their creator. And so uh, uh, this is why he, he puts them in this category. It's because the, the lack of respect for authority of father and mother is the beginning of the absolute unraveling of any sense of hierarchy or order in society. Put it this way, if you don't honor your mother and father, who are you going to honor? Who are you going to obey? If you're not going to respect your father and mother, who are you going to respect? What are you going to respect? And the answer, of course, is nothing. So Paul here communicates this to the church in Ephesus, and he writes, beginning with children again, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. 
It's very simple here. It's not complicated. He says, obey. That means do what they say. That means follow their directions. It's not complicated. When you're a child in the house of your parents, under your parents' responsibility and authority, you really only have one commandment to follow as children. One commandment to follow, and that is obey and honor your father and mother. Do what they say. You know, really, it's pretty simple. Just make mama happy, right? Just, just do what dad tells you to do. If they say it's no, it's no. And you have to learn how to be content with that. If they tell you to do something, that's for your own good. It's for the good of the family. It's for the good of, of your life. And it's, 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 it's all good. Uh, if they tell you to do something, do it. As you grow up and your perspective grows and your knowledge broadens, maybe they'll ask you to do something and you've got a different perspective on it. You've got a different, you've got a different opinion. Maybe you have a very good perspective. I always like giving ridiculous examples, but if I tell my son, son, go out and cut the grass, but he's just checked the weather and he knows that we're under a tornado warning and he looks out the window and there's cows swirling <laughs> and road signs. And I've just said, son, go mow the grass. He can tell me, you know what, dad, I, I'll go cut the grass, but I don't think it's a good idea right now. I think, it's, I think it's dangerous to go cut the grass right now. I don't know if you saw, Dad, the rain blowing sideways and the trees blowing over, but I'll go cut the grass. You see, you can say that. Sometimes, children, you have helpful information. Young men and women who are under the authority of your parents, you have helpful information, but you must be respectful and humble in the way that you express yourself. Tell me what you think about it, but tell me on the way to obeying. Uh, you better be tying on your shoes while you tell me, Dad, I think it may not be a good idea right now. You see, children, young people, young men and women, we're not crazy people. The people that God put in authority over your life, well, I'm speaking for myself, I hope, maybe not all of them. We're not crazy people. We're not trying to ruin your life. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you're thinking, but don't treat us like we're stupid. Don't treat us like we're clueless and don't treat us like we're out of touch. The commandment that Paul quotes here from the Ten Commandments says to honor your father and mother. What does it mean to honor? The word honor at root is the word heavy. And used as a verb, it means to make heavy. The same word is translated other places as glorify. To glorify something is to treat it as if it were heavy, weighty, important. Heavy things are glorious. Precious metals, as I've said often, are shiny, and that's a glory. They're also heavy, and heaviness, weight, is glorious. Things that make an impression on you are heavy. In common English, we talk this way. We say, oh, this is a weighty matter. Or we say, we used to say, oh, that's real heavy, man. That's real heavy. <laughs> I don't know if you say that anymore. We used to say that. Something that's trivial or something that's superficial is light, but something that's glorious is heavy. So to honor your father and mother, to honor something means to make it heavy, to treat it as heavy. You, you don't always, uh, and, and you can't always make something or someone glorious, but you can treat them as if they were. Our parents, all of us have parents who are sinners. And sometimes our parents are shallow. Sometimes our parents are superficial. But God's law says to treat them as heavy, treat them, as, uh, treat them with honor. And so you have to figure out, how do, I, how do I treat them with honor right now? How do I treat them with heaviness and weight? You have to pray for a good attitude and you have to pray for humility. But your parents are due honor by virtue of them being your parents. 
The opposite of honor is to make light of or to repudiate, to dismiss, making light of them in conversation when you're talking to your friends and they say, oh, can you do this thing? And you roll your eyes and you say, man, I do it, but my parents, whatever, man. That's, 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 that's the opposite of honoring your parents, telling them, you know what, I don't, I, I don't want you to tell me what to do, and I don't want anything to do with you any longer. Like, like the prodigal son who asked for his inheritance while his dad was still living. You know what he's saying, right? Dad, I wish, I wish you were dead, right? We, we do the opposite. Honor means, honor means giving weight to your parents. Children, I hope, you have, I hope you have your attention at least today. You know, I know when we're talking about husbands and wives, you kind of say, oh, this will, this will mean something to me someday, but this is addressed to you. By the way, uh, how do we know children and women were present in worship in the first century church? Because Paul's letter addresses them directly. Paul's letter doesn't say, uh, husbands, tell your wives to do this. It doesn't say, fathers, tell your children to do this. Paul di uh, directly addresses children and he directly addresses wives, which means that they were there and they were in the hearing when these things were preached and taught and read, right? So children, I can say to children, to you right now, uh, as your pastor, I'm hoping you're hearing me, children, you must not, you may not disrespect your father and your mother. Do you ever roll your eyes when mom or dad are talking? Or, or, or when they tell you to do something? Do, do you ever mock them? Do you ever nod your head and consent when they tell you what to do and in your heart you're saying, I'm not doing that. I am not doing that at all. And I'm going to figure out a way to do the exact opposite, in fact. See, that's what God's commandment forbids. That's making light of your parents. That's failing to honor them. So children are expected to obey and honor their parents, and parents are expected to expect obedience and honor. If a, if a parent doesn't expect obedience, if he doesn't require obedience, fathers and mothers, if you don't require your children to honor you and to obey you, if you don't correct your child, the Bible says that you hate them. It says that. In Proverbs, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. So when you're disciplining your children, they ask you, what are you doing? I'm saving you from hell. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to save you from hell because you're rebellious and in your heart is rebellion. And I'm trying to drive that rebellion from your heart. And I'm doing it in the God approved. Not, not, you know, we we you know, use the word beat in a very uh, different way now. And, and so uh, we're, we're not talking about abuse, right? We're not talking about physical abuse. We're talking about discipline, uh, especially for little ones on the on the, uh, the God-approved, God-designed location. He, he put a great target right on, right on the back uh, for a few gentle swats, loving, loving, corrective swats that, that get the attention of a child. Uh, that's, that's what we're talking about. You must require your children to honor and obey you because honoring you, fathers, is honoring God. So Paul turns to fathers and he says, you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition to the Lord. Paul says, honor your father and mother. This is very interesting. He says, honor your father and mother to the children. He says, obey your parents, both of them, fathers and mothers. But then he turns around and he addresses fathers specifically. He does not say, 
mothers do not provoke your children to wrath. He does not say mothers bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Why is that? Why doesn't he call out mothers here? Well, he's not ignoring moms. The Bible, in fact, has a wealth of information about the importance of good mothers. And sons, in Proverbs, are required to listen to the voice of their mothers. Sons, you must obey your mothers, right? I mean, you must absolutely submit to your mom. But Paul doesn't, here he points directly to the father. Because as we've seen in the last few weeks, this, this pagan Greek and Roman culture that Paul is writing into um, has this attitude where, where men really don't have a lot to do with their wives or their children or their families. Men in the Greek and Roman world assumed that their important business was elsewhere, and so they leave all that children's stuff to the women. And if they had anything to do with their children to correct or teach them, it wouldn't have been out of a sense of love. It wouldn't have been out of a sense of responsibility. It would have just been out of exasperation. It was common to deal with children harshly if you were a man in the ancient world. In the same way today, we might, we might think, well, man, I change diapers. I, I do a whole lot more. You know, I, I've, I've done a whole lot of stuff. But it's still easy for men to just leave all the child-rearing stuff to their wives, assuming it's their job, assuming that they'll just take care of it if it needs to be done. Every time I hear a man complain about having to babysit his own kids. I want to pop him right in the back of the head. What do you mean babysit? They're your children. You don't babysit your own kids. If you're babysitting the neighbor's kids, I, I understand. But if it's your kids, it's not called babysitting. It's called being a dad, right? It's called being a father. God calls fathers through the Apostle Paul in the scriptures here. He calls fathers directly to bring up their children in the training and admonition of the Lord. That word training is paideia. You've probably heard that word before. It's translated in other places and in some translations, nurture. Fathers are called to nurture their children. This, this, this calls into uh, view the whole training and all of the education of children, the cultivation of their mind and morals through commands and admonitions, reproof and punishment, the guidance and care of the whole child, mind, body, and spirit. And God's word says it is masculine, it is manly to nurture children. It is not women's work to nurture children only. It is fatherly to nurture children. Now, this doesn't downplay or eliminate the mother's duties, but elevates the father's role, which is easier to forget or ignore, and also to remind wives that it is her husband's duty to nurture the children. There is a tendency, and I'm, I'm not saying that it's overt, and I'm not saying it's, it's on, on purpose, but there's a tendency for, for mothers to be so involved in the daily needs and affairs of the children while dad's away at work that she begins to assume that she's 100% responsible for everything and how it turns out, and that really dad only gets in the way. Dad gets home from work, and when he starts interacting with the kids, his methods and his ways of handling things are, are only messing things up. It's only messing up this plan and program she's had in place all day. So then she, she gets frustrated, and she marginalizes her husband, and she diminishes the kid's dad. She undercuts him right in front of the children by, by yelling at him, by telling him to back off. I, I got it. I told them they couldn't do I told them that we're not going to do that today. I'm in charge, buddy. You back up. You better believe she's in charge, right? I mean, that's, that's what she wants you to, to understand. But is, it, is that how God set this up? 
Is that how God wants this to work? That dad, you know, go, get out of here, back up, back off? Is that, is that what God wants? A father's nurture is going to look different from a mother's nurture. And in fact, the scenario that I just painted for you, there's, you know, there's a breakdown in communication there. Dad needs to, dad needs an update. Dad needs a briefing. Okay, what are we doing today? Oh, okay, so we're not doing that tonight. Got it. We, oh, why? Okay, well, can we do this instead? Okay, yeah, so there's communication that has to go on there. But, but at root, a father's nature is going to look different from a mother's nurture. Father's nurture is going to look different from a mother's nurture. And God designed things in such a way that children need both moms and dads to become complete humans. God's, God's word highlights a father's responsibility to his children, his responsibility over his children. And, and so God doesn't give mothers license to, to say he doesn't know what he's talking about or push him to the periphery. He's clueless. You know, he's not with these little monsters all day. I am, and I know what they need, and I know what they can't have. Well, maybe the fact that he's not with them all day gives him a perspective that mom doesn't have, right? I mean, it, that is a possibility as well. So moms and dads, mothers and fathers must honor each other's very unique roles and perspectives and respect each other in their very unique callings. But a father cannot be afraid to father. A father must not be intimidated uh, to father. Uh, dads, no, you did not carry those children in your body. You did not give birth to them. Your amazing, incredible wife did that unbelievable work. But fathers, you are responsible before God. You are responsible for how you educate them and discipline them and nurture them. Moms, your husband is responsible before God. And there are a few things that are worse than being responsible for something that you have no control over, right? Uh, so, so when you push him to the periphery, he's still responsible, but now he has no input and no, no say. So fathers are called to nurture their children and to do it, Paul says, being careful not to provoke them to wrath. There are two ways that we can provoke our children to wrath in two directions. First of all, one is to be so out of touch and, and so clueless and, and so not, not even connected to them that we don't give them the attention that they need or deserve. Nothing provokes hatred and a sense of deprivation in a child. Nothing provokes more hatred than the feeling that they're irrelevant or that they're unimportant, unimportant or they're not worth your time. It's real easy. It's very simple to build into your child a sense of, of deep insecurity and self-doubt. It's, it's very easy to do. You want to do that? All you have to do is ignore them. That's all you do. You make them feel like they're the least important thing to you and you'll give them a, a lifelong case of insecurity. That's, what, that's how you do that. Children want to be loved and they want to be nurtured by their fathers. Yes, they want their mother's love and their mother's attention, but they want their father's word of encouragement. A father's word of encouragement is fulfilling, it's stabilizing, it's nourishing in ways that we can't even measure. Now, another way that we provoke them, one way to provoke them is just by dismissing them. Another way we provoke them is by, with, um, by, by misusing our authority through irritating or unreasonable demands by not remembering that they are children. They are immature. They are inexperienced. 
And, and, and so we, we can provoke them to wrath through harshness and cruelty by suppressing them or humiliating them. Kids have a keen sense of judgment. They get to a certain age when they're playing games together. What, what do you hear? What is the cry? What is the peal? What is the complaint that you hear? That's not fair, right? Why do they say that's not fair? It's because they have a keen sense of, of, of justice. They know when something's out of order and they can tell fathers when you're being arbitrary, when you're being mean, when you're being capricious in your judgments and your expectations, God expects them to obey, but he expects you not to be an ogre. Because we are representatives of God to our children, and because God is not an ogre, we can't be ogres. Children are commanded to honor their parents like they honor God. And we, we see this in several places. And I, I wish I could go through all of them, but I'm, I'm running out of time. But um, if, if, you want, if you have questions, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your questions later. But there, there are so many places in the scriptures where the kind of obedience required of children is the same obedience required of children of God. And I'll just point out one place, Leviticus 19.3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. And the word revere there is the word fear. It's the same word that's used throughout the Bible for fear of the Lord. And so our attitude and our response to our earthly parents is to be very close. It's, the, it's, it's of the same species as our fear and obedience and submission to God's authority. Our obedience to our parents' authority is very close to our obedience to God's authority. And that's seen over and over in the scriptures. And what that means is parents stand as God's representatives in the lives of children. This has all kinds of implications for children, but it has even greater implications for parents. This means that parents must imitate God in the way that they discipline and train and instruct their children. And when I don't do it like God does it, I am preaching falsehood about God to my children. I am pre preaching heresy by my actions to my children. So if I'm irrationally angry and I'm upset all the time, that's what I'm teaching my kids that God is like. I'm saying, I'm just like your heavenly father. God requires you to obey me just like you obey God. And, and God is always looking around with a scowl. If I'm easily provoked to outbursts, and if I'm put out when my kid asks me a question, I'm showing them that's what God is like. God doesn't want to hear you. He's got better things to do. If, if I'm always harping on them and picking at them, if, if what they do is never good enough, if I'm telling them, uh, you know, uh, stand, up, you know, stand up straight, you know, tuck in your shirt, tie your shoes, comb your hair, brush your teeth, you know, wipe your nose, and, and I'm, I'm just picking and picking and picking, I'm telling them that God is never satisfied with you. It doesn't matter what you do, God is not going to be pleased with your life. He's always going to find something wrong with you, and he's always going to uh, wave it in your face. If I'm lazy and if I'm inconsistent with discipline, I'm saying that's what God is like. If I say, if I say, do that one more time and I'm going to spank you, and they do that one more time and I don't spank them, I'm saying that's what God is like. God makes false promises. God makes empty threats. God doesn't mean what he says. If I keep long lists of things that they did wrong and I keep bringing those things up, I'm saying this is what God does. He doesn't ever really forgive anything. He just, he says he forgives, but then he keeps bringing up old things so that you stay in a state of guilt. 
If I'm kind of grouchy and I'm, I'm always brooding about this thing or the other thing, and if I, if I never look for ways to have fun, if I never really look for opportunities to give my children sweet, undeserved blessings, then I'm saying God doesn't give us sweet, undeserved things. God is grouchy all the time. If I make promises that, that I don't keep, I'm saying God doesn't keep his promises. If I complain about everybody and everything all the time, and if I'm never satisfied and I can never be content with anything, I'm showing my children that God is a peevish, easily irritated, not happy, not blessed creator, not a creator who rejoices over his people. You see, I'm always showing God to my children. I'm showing them what God is like. If I demand things of my kids that they're incapable of doing or things they can't comprehend, then I'm teaching them that God doesn't understand their frame. If the rules are always changing and are always incomprehensible, if there are so many rules that nobody can keep track of them, I'm saying this is what God's law is like. God's law is incomprehensible. You can't figure out what God wants from you. And he really doesn't care about your holiness. He really doesn't care about your obedience. He's just trying to trip you up. That's what I'm saying by my actions. We stand in the place of God to our children. We teach them what God is like every day. And God our Father is a happy, cheerful, forgiving, gracious, tender, patient Father. He is consistent in His training. He is consistent in His law-giving. He is consistent in His discipline. He is consistent in His promise-keeping. And He is there. God our Father is always accessible. He is always ready to hear. This is our Heavenly Father, and it is our great weight of responsibility to show this Father His authority to our children. And you see, when we do that, and when our children reject that authority, they're really rejecting God's authority. God has set a father's authority right next to his own. And this is why obedience to parents is attended with such blessing and why it's so vital for an orderly society. That's why the obedient son, the obedient daughter is blessed with long life and happiness because obedience to your parents is obedience to God. If you learn how to submit yourself to the first people God puts in your life, then you will have grown up pleasing God. You have learned how to obey God in your parents' house. How? By obeying mom and dad. You are trained for life. You are prepared to go do good work for other people. You're trained to submit to an employer. You're trained and ready to work toward being a good leader because you've gotten the key in your home by obeying mom and dad. You figured out this is how things work. I am built to give and serve and work all my days. That's the only way to peace and rest and satisfaction. You've learned to hear instruction. You've learned to hear wisdom. You've learned to hear direction and do it under your parents' authority. You see, at the end, it's all about obedience. It's all about submission to the authority that God has established. And that's what brings happiness. That's why this has a promise built into it. It's because obedience to the authorities God has placed in your life is obedience to God. And which is why when it comes down to it, if you really want to know the truth, rejection of God, atheism, is not a philosophical issue. It's not a matter of, of humanistic enlightenment. It's not a matter of scientific pursuit. I, I wish atheists would just be honest. Just be honest. Just say it. Just say, I don't want to be told what to do. Just, just say that. I don't want to obey. That, that's what it comes down to, right? I reject all authority. That's all. 
continue that way, continue in rejection of authority and continue thinking, I don't want to be told what to do, ignore instruction, reject wisdom, listen to nothing and nobody but yourself, you get sorrow and loneliness and deprivation and isolation. You do not have any promise of a long life and blessing. You can't count on happiness. On the other hand, do you want long life? Learn how to obey. Learn how to submit. Follow Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the obedient son. He's the son who obeyed his father. And and guess what? Jesus, the obedient son, is the king of all creation. He was lifted up over all creation because he is the obedient son. And so Jesus has life and glory and blessing and rest and peace. And it's only in union with him and submission to him that you can have the same life and blessing and rest and peace. Let us pray. Father, we ask you to continue to strengthen us so that we may follow Jesus in his obedience to you, his father. So make us obedient children to you, our father. Make us fathers and mothers obedient to you as we love our children and as we model and imitate your fatherly care over our children and give us children uh, obedience and submission and happiness and joy in, in, in loving subjection to our parents. In every way, Father, strengthen us in obedience and show us what it means uh, to give ourselves to each other in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.